Today's scripture comes from James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, and it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for New City Church, Lord. Um, God, would you be with Ryan this morning as he preaches your word? And would it be your word that um, just echoes throughout this, this gym and this church today, Lord? We thank you just for your grace and your love and your mercy for us, Lord. And uh, we, we love you and we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we are going to be doing a live narration from Pilgrim's Progress uh, to start off Ryan's sermon. Now, Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory, um, and in this particular allegory, it is intended to get across some Christian themes and Christian concepts. The main uh, character of this story is Christian, and um, the, the story is going to be talking about his progression as he's walking and trying to learn more about what it means to be a Christian. So, now... As Christian was walking alone, he noticed someone far off traveling over the field, and they happened to meet one another as their paths crossed. The man's name was Mr. Worldly Wise Man. He dwelt in the town of Carnal Policy, which was a very large town, much like the city of destruction from whence Christian came. Now, Mr. Worldly Wise Man knew a little bit about Christian because the tale of Christian leaving the city of destruction was the talk of the town, both near and far. Mr. Worldly Wise Man, therefore, coming upon Christian and seeing the difficult journey that he was on and observing his sighs and groans and the like, entered into conversation with him. Say there, friend, where are you going in this burdened manner? A burdened manner indeed, I think, if ever any poor creature had one. And since you ask where I'm going, I will tell you. I'm going to yonder narrow gate that is ahead of me. There, I am told, I will be instructed on how to be rid of my heavy burden. Have you a family? Any children? Yes, but this burden on my back is so great that... It is, I cannot take pleasure in my family anymore. It is as if I had no family at all. If I give you my counsel, will you take my advice? If it is good counsel, I will. I'm in need of good advice. Well, then I would advise you that you be rid of that burden as quickly as possible. For you will never be able to have happiness or peace of mind until you do. That is what I am seeking for. I desperately want to be rid of this heavy burden, but I cannot do it myself, nor is there any man in our country who can remove it from my shoulders. That is why I am going the way that I told you, that I may be rid of my burden. Who told you that this was the way to be rid of your burden? A man who seemed very honorable and noble. His name, as I remember, is evangelist. I curse him for his advice then. There is no more dangerous way in all the world. You'll find this for yourself if you continue along that path. I see you've already come across troubles on your way. I see the mire of the swamp of despondence is already upon you. 
If you continue along your way, you'll find that that is just the beginning of the many sorrows that lay upon the path for those who would wander it. Listen to me, for I am older than you. If you continue along that narrow path, you will find nothing but pain and trials and swords and hunger and lions and darkness and dragons and the like. In the word, you will meet with death. These things are certainly true, having been confirmed by many testimonies. And so why would you so carelessly cast yourself away on the advice of a stranger? Sir, this burden is more dreadful to me than all of the things that you have mentioned. Indeed, I don't care what danger lies ahead of me as long as I find deliverance from this burden. How did you get this burden to begin with? By reading this book in my hand. So much better than me trying to read that, right? As, uh, as we mentioned, we're in a series going through the book of James, and today uh, we're looking at this idea of wisdom, and it will be a recurring theme that we see as we journey through this letter uh, that Jesus' little brother writes uh, for the church. And it's interesting because there's really two sides of wisdom. Jesus talks about it, Solomon talks about it. In Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and the Psalms, I mean, all over the scriptures, you see these two sides of wisdom. You see worldly wisdom, and you see godly wisdom. And today, my hope is that we will be able to discern how to stay uh, in line with godly wisdom. You see, when you first become a Christian, uh, or before you become a Christian, rather, think of your life like this. You only have one enemy. Romans 5 talks about this. You really only have one enemy. That enemy is not your little brother. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not your friend that betrayed you. Your one and only enemy before you become a Christian is God himself. Romans 5 tells us about that. But after you become a follower of Jesus, that enmity that you have between yourself and God is buried in the grave. Jesus comes and he gives him his life for you, sacrifices himself so that we uh, can be at, at peace with God. But here's what happens after that, is that we ha we're, we're greeted not by one enemy, but all of these other lowercase e enemies in our lives. These, these accusations that torment our souls, these trials, these sufferings that we experience, those questions that we ask, am I doing enough? I'm headed down the wrong path and I don't know if I can stop it. I don't have wisdom. I don't have self-control. You see all of these things in your life beginning to unravel. And the question is, where is God in the middle of it? We need wisdom to navigate the trials of life. We need wisdom to navigate what life throws to us. And that wisdom is not found in an answer, but it's found in a person, and that person is the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for us and just ask for the Lord to, to solidify our hearts and our focus as we seek his wisdom this morning. Jesus, we, we just come to you this morning, and, um, and we ask that you would show us 
what it means to be wise according to your word, not according to this world. We pray that you would help us as we try to navigate life faithfully before your face. And Lord, even as we pause here before we listen to your word, we receive your word, God, we acknowledge that there is much of life that we are uncertain about. There are many circumstances that that each of us have today, and we just don't know what to do. Lord, I'm thankful that you know that about us, and you call us, you beckon us to come to you and to ask for your presence in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard that old quote from the... uh, from the, the British journalist, what is it? It's, um, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing better than to put it in a fruit salad, right? You ever heard that? You guys are, you've got an extra hour of sleep today. Come on. Gee, this is the easy one. It's the spring one that's the hard one. We, we need knowledge. We need to know about God, about our sins about this world and how to navigate that, but we also need wisdom. So, so if knowledge is book smarts, wisdom is street smarts, right? And you, you know someone that's like got like a lot of knowledge, right? And they're super smart, but they can't really figure out how to live life, right? We need the wisdom that Jesus promises to give us. So let's, just two points today. First one is this, what is wisdom? And the second one is this, how do we get it? What is wisdom? How do we get it? So what is wisdom? Let's look at James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5 here. We're not going to get too far into this because there's a connecting thought that we need to discover together. James 1 verse 5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If any of you lacks wisdom. There's this connecting thought between verse 4 and verse 5. Verse 4 says this, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, so last week we looked at this, this idea that, that the Lord loves us so much that he puts us through trials. Because trials and suffering are the only way that we can get the most valuable thing in the world. And the most valuable thing in the world, according to James, is a complete faith. A faith that is finished. A faith that carries us on to completion. A, a faith that doesn't just get excited and spring up like the seed that's on the rock, but a, but, but a faith that sinks itself down into the Jeremiah 17 roots during the drought and still finds life. That's the kind of faith that we need. But James presupposes for us that if we experience trials, we are going to find ourselves in places where we have no idea what to do next. We didn't read this in the book we can't really discern this particular situation in the scripture. So what do we do? James says we need wisdom. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I find myself in places where I don't know what to do, when, when I'm in a situation that I haven't been in before, I typically think that it's a problem. I think what James, I think the reason why he starts this letter off this way and really threads this theme of wisdom and faith throughout his entire letter is that as Christians, we ought to expect to be in places where we don't know what to do. Because that's what trial and suffering and life in this world leads us to. It leads us into places where we don't know the next play. And then the invitation is that we would walk in faith. We would seek God's wisdom. 
his counsel and how we live. Charles uh, Swindoll, Swindoll said this, Chuck Swindoll says this about wisdom. Here's how he kind of defines it that I think is really helpful for me. He says this, wisdom is the God-given ability to see life with rare objectivity and to respond to life with rare stability. In other words, wisdom is seeing your life from God's perspective. So the, the trials that lead us, that we get led through as disciples, create these opportunities for faith to show itself off in how we seek Jesus and how we follow him. But most of the time, we don't let steadfastness have its full effect, like James says in verse 3. Instead, we give up and we bail on the situation that we're in, instead of letting it drive us down deeper and further still and seeking the face of Jesus and the wisdom and perspective that he might give us about a situation. Because the circumstances of our lives are not the biggest problem that we have. They're not. It's the burden that, that in, in the allegory that Bunyan wrote, it's the burden that we carry that is our biggest problem in life. And, and I love how Christian talks about that. He says, listen, all this pain, all this suffering, lions, I like how he threw that out there as well. Uh, you know, you never know. All of those things seem like the worst things in our lives when we're in the middle of them. But they are not. Our enmity between God is our biggest problem. And once Jesus Christ settles the score on our behalf through faith, those problems are no longer problems for us. They seem like it in the middle of it, but they're opportunities for God to shine forth his relationship with us through giving us wisdom. God's desire is not for us to be consumed with the trial. Your life isn't about ten ways to avoid wisdom or ten ways to avoid trial and suffering. It's not about that. It's really about seeing Jesus in the middle of it. Wisdom is a person, not an answer. I think a lot of times we, we, we say, you know, God, just tell me what to do. Those are my prayers sometimes anyway. God, just tell me what to do with, with this relationship. Just tell me what to do in this situation. And I, and I miss, like, the, I miss the, the forest for the trees or the trees for the forest. I always mix that metaphor up. But you get what I'm saying. I, I, I miss it because I miss the fact that God has given me so He's given me so much more than just an answer. He's given me a person. He's given me Jesus Christ. Listen to Colossians chapter 2. Paul writes this to this church that, uh, that he loves. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle that I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who haven't seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We want the knowledge of how God is working his plan of salvation out in our life. And we want to see the fruit of the, tri the, the trials and the suffering that we're going through. And, and church, some of us will never see it. We'll endure it, but we'll never see it. We'll never see what it produced in us. We'll never see what it produced in his world. We'll never see what it did in the kingdom. And, and what, he, what Paul says here is, is, 
is that it's different than we think that it is. He says that everything we're looking for is in Jesus. And I know that's like the pastor answer, right? The Sunday school answer, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But he says that everything that you're longing for, every missing gap in your life, every longing of your heart, every misplaced desire, everything that your sin is after is found in the person and the work of Jesus. But so much of the time, I would rather have a solution than a person. I don't know about you. We need a relationship with God much more than we need an answer from God. And the wisdom that we seek, which is the perspective that gives us that, that, that rare stability in life, comes from trusting Him day by day in the middle of the storms that we experience. The wisdom of God makes no sense to an unregenerate heart in this world, though. A heart that doesn't know Jesus. Because what we presume wisdom to be is, is kind of self-help. It's, it's, okay, just give me the answer, give me the next step, and I'll follow that, and I'll do it. And, and I'll make sure that it happens, and I'll avoid this trial, and this, I'll do that. But, but what Paul writes about in the gospel is that Wisdom is kind of upside down from the way we think about it. The wisdom of God makes no sense to people in this world who are not following Jesus because the truth about Christians is that we are more than willing to suffer when we're in a good place with Jesus. We're more than willing to suffer so long as it produces the intended effect in our life, which is that we grow in Christ-likeness, that we are conformed more and more and more and more to his image. The world is not willing to suffer. Think about it. We av- the world avoids suffering to the, to the utmost extremes that you can imagine. Th- th- this is why we see the, the addiction that runs rampant in our culture through addictions to different types of substances. And, and I, you know, that's, that runs rampant in my family too, just like maybe it does in yours. And, and I get it, and my heart hurts, and, I, and I'm no better than any of that. But by God's grace, may you and I run to Jesus instead of something else to avoid the pain that we feel when it finds us. The world's not willing to suffer because when, we, when they feel the pain that sin brings, they don't know what to do with it. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1. He says this, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Because words of eloquent wisdom empty the cross of its power. In, in other words, if I, make the, if I make this life about me, the cross loses its power. The message of the cross is that the only way that we find life is through death. The, the world thinks that the only way that you find Life is through medicating and avoiding the death that we experience on a day-to-day basis. But, but Paul goes on to say this. He says, for the word of the cross, which is death, it means one thing, it means death. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. In other words, it doesn't make any sense that we would celebrate that Jesus had to die for us and therefore we now take up our cross and die to ourselves daily to follow him more effectively. He says, that doesn't make any sense. 
That posture of humility, that posture of weakness, that posture of not knowing what to do with your life in the circumstances you're in makes no sense apart from Jesus. He says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who would believe. So Christians are this weird breed of people who are, for the sake of Christ, willing to embrace trial and hardship and pain and not having answers and humility. And I don't know if you've walked with someone who's been a Christian for a while, but it, it seems like the longer they walk with Jesus, the longer we walk with Jesus, we have more questions than we do answers. Amen? You, you get to this place where you thought you knew how to do life when you were younger, but you walk with Jesus and you start to see so many situations that you can't connect the dots on. And, and it's not that faith is absent It's just that it's mysterious, like Paul writes. The cross says this, that my life is so broken that the only way to be put back together is through Jesus being broken for me. And that message is not a message that's going to sell a lot of books. Because the cross constantly turns the attention away from self and to God. And church, that is exactly what we need. That's wisdom. When attention is is turned away from us and it's turned toward God and we ask him for his perspective to give us that rare stability, that rare confidence in the midst of very trying situations. So how do we get this wisdom? I've talked about what it is. Well, God gives us trials so that we can gain the most valuable thing in the world, a complete faith. But trials put us into the situations in life that demand wisdom. Like there's no other way to live it out unless God greets us with his wisdom. Let, let me read the, the rest of James 1, 5 through 8 for you. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all and without reproach. But let him ask in faith. Here's the key here. With no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It sounds crazy, yet it's so difficult to do. But how do you get wisdom? The first thing you got to do is you have to ask for wisdom. H.B. Charles Jr. is a pastor. He's been preaching for a long time. He's in Jacksonville, Florida now. And he, he shared a story of um, just kind of, a, kind of a, an illustration to help his congregation get this. And he, and he said, you know, imagine that there was a man that was on a tour of heaven, right? And this angel was kind of guiding him around and uh, giving him a tour. And, and, um, and then there was this one building they didn't go into. And it was like, you know, you don't, you, the angel was like, you don't want to go in there. You don't, you don't want to go in that room because you're going to be devastated when you see what's in there. And, uh, and so that just, I mean, it's like when you tell a kid that they can't have the cookie. They're going to get, they, they want the cookie, right? So, you know, they, he's like, no, show me. Show me what's in the room. And so they walk into the, the building, and then there's a room, and they open the door, and it's full of all these gifts, these presents, like beautifully wrapped. And, 
And he says, these are all of the gifts of wisdom that Christians never claim in prayer. I don't know what it is, but why is it so hard for us to go to God in prayer and ask for wisdom? I mean, what if you and I were to approach God in prayer the same way that we approach that little keyboard in our pocket when we go to Google? Whenever we get in a a bind and we can't figure out that chili recipe, you know, whatever it is in our life, we don't ask God for wisdom. And I'm kind of being trite and simplistic there, but you think about it. Where do you go when you don't know what to do? The only times in my life that I willingly go to God in prayer and ask for wisdom is when my back's up against the wall and I've got no other options. And this is what James is talking about here. He says, when you go to God and you ask for wisdom, you've got to go in faith. Like no plan B. Like, like God, you are the only answer to this. What you give me, what you grant to me. Because we'll never ask for wisdom unless we believe that God is gracious and that he loves to give good gifts to his children. I'm I'm confronted as I look at the different places in Scripture that talk about the the habits of prayer. For instance, Psalm chapter 70, verse 1. Make haste, O God, deliver me, O Lord, make haste to help me. It's, It's not approaching God, the psalmist is not approaching God saying, Hey, God, maybe, I don't know if it kind of fits in your schedule between that two and four appointment that you got. I mean, if you can work it out, like, could you help me maybe? I'm kind of, kind of in a tough spot. No, the, the psalmist understands something about his union with God that he has access to him, to ask. I love what uh, Isaiah 62 says, describes this attitude of prayer for God's kingdom to come. He says this, verse 7, give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. In other words, the kingdom of God is falling apart, or seemingly so. Jerusalem is nowhere to be found because of captivity, scattered all over the face of the earth, in the, in the midst of some of the worst pain that the church has ever felt before, God's people. And he says, pray and give God no rest. Don't let him slumber. Don't give him a moment that you're not willing to go to him and beg him. Beg him for the wisdom that you desperately need to live this life faithfully to him. To admit that we need help is the biggest stick of dynamite that we could ever stick in the enemy's plans, in his hand. Because the enemy is convinced that if he can just keep you from God, he might let you stay in church, but just to keep you from God, in prayer, that you'll keep turning inward toward yourself, looking for all the answers, and spiraling out of control because you'll find that there's no wisdom in you apart from that that God gives us in Jesus. He wants to keep us from God, keep us from asking. When Jesus died for sinners, do you, do you remember what happened? It's, we, we often look at this on Good Friday, this text, it's the end of Matthew, and Jesus died on the cross, something happened in the temple. Do you remember what it was? There's a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. Remember what happened with the veil? It tore, right? It ripped right down the middle. Because that veil signified the separation between God's presence and God's people. Well, Hebrews chapter 4 
talks about this, this idea that because Jesus is now our high priest, not some other intermediary, that, 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 um, that connects us to the Father, that now we have this boldness, this access to, to enter into relationship with God with confidence. Listen, listen to what he says in Hebrews 4. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. That, Christian, that is the kind of access that you have to, to, to overcome and to navigate all of the trials that you will experience this week. You have that kind of access, but the question is, will you go to it? Will you seek God's face in the midst of that? What is keeping you from the wisdom that you desperately need? What is it? I mean, your kids are lost and it's breaking your heart. You did everything you could do. You gave them every opportunity. You shared the gospel with them. You had quiet times with them. They're lost. Go on your knees before your Father in heaven and ask Him, beg Him for wisdom. What is it for you? Your joy is gone. You're just walking through the motions. Jesus doesn't make your heart alive anymore. Go before him and beg him for the gift of his presence and your awareness of it in your life. Church, when we want something bad enough, we find it. But oftentimes not in prayer. Not begging God for the wisdom that we need. But, but, but James says we've got, when we ask for wisdom, we've got to ask for it in faith. That he, he actually cares about how we approach him. Faith in this context, in in verse 6, where he says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. He paints this picture of what it looks like to doubt. He says, for that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So what we see here is that, that faith in this context is not about the strength of the ask. I mean, have you ever been around someone that prays something so boldly and so confidently, yet it does not happen? Have you? You know what happens after that? So we think that God's a liar. And really what was happening is we weren't in sync with God. We, we, we prayed for something, it didn't happen, or maybe it's not happened yet, and, and maybe it wasn't even the will of God. He's not talking about just bullishly projecting confidence into your prayer life. That's not what he's talking about here. Faith is not about the strength of our prayer for wisdom, but it's about the focus of our prayer. It's about the focus. So so James rebukes the double-minded person that is not asking in faith. And this this word double-minded is the only place it's found in the Bible some commentators think that James made this word up. It's, it's, when, you, when, you, when you hear it literally spoken, it's, it's very interesting. It's a double-souled person. So not just a double-minded like, oh, yeah, you know, I like vanilla ice cream this day, uh, strawberry this day. No, 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 not, not a double-souled person, a person that is running on two tracks in their mind. If this one doesn't work out, at least I got this backup over here. And... 
the interesting thing is that the book of Proverbs talks about this often. It's that, it's that context of living in worldly wisdom. If I do all of the right things, my life will work out. But on the other hand over here, understanding that only the things that are in the Lord's will come to pass in my life, and some of them I, I love and others I don't like at all. It's, it's living between those two worlds. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of the most popular verses in all the scriptures, talks about this tension. L- listen, and I, as I read this, I want you to hear that the, that the enemy of wisdom is self. L- listen, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In other words, in all your ways, seek his wisdom. Seek his help. Boldly approach the throne of grace and prayer and ask for God's perspective to give you the stability in life that you need to follow him with all integrity. That, that there's this enemy alive inside of each of us, our flesh, that, makes, that draws us back to this epicenter of ourselves where we try to follow God by trusting in ourselves. And this is why we get so devastated when we, you know, all of a sudden find out that the, the wealth that we had placed our hope in uh, is now gone because we lost our job. And so our confidence is sh- so shaken. I'm not saying those aren't scary times. But we, we build up this life, especially as Americans, of a self-made man. And it is absolutely counterintuitive to the wisdom that God speaks about in the Scriptures. This verse is about wisdom, asking in faith with wisdom. Do you, do you remember the guy in Mark chapter 9 that had the sick little boy? Do you, do you remember him? I want you to notice how the focus of his prayer in faith was what Jesus was after. The, the dad so brought this mute and convulsing boy to Jesus and the scriptures say in Mark 9, 14 through 20, I won't read it, I'll just kind of summarize it for you. The, the scriptures say that, that he had burn marks all over his body because he had been throwing himself into the fire and trying to drown himself. And he, the, the boy had a demon. And he knew Jesus was the only hope for his son. He, he knew that the only way that his boy could ever change was if he met Jesus. And he says... Lord, if you can, will you heal my boy? And and Jesus said, what do you mean if I can? He said, anything's possible for for those who believe. And and what did the man say? I I can almost hear him shudder these words. I believe. Help my unbelief. I, I believe. I believe in you, Jesus. But there's this gap between what I see in my son and what I hope that he will become. I mean, when I, was, when I was a young father and my, my son was younger, I didn't think that he'd be throwing himself into flames and trying to drown himself. Jesus, I don't know if he'll, he'll ever go to college and ever get out on his own. He's such a mess. The man didn't have this, this two-track mind. There was just a gap between what he was experiencing and what he needed God to do. That was the unbelief in him. It wasn't, it wasn't disbelief. It was unbelief. And God, God, God calls us to pray not saying that we've got full faith in the sense of all of our belief is all stored up. We're good to go here. He understands that the nature of our, our flesh is that there's going to be gaps in our faith. 
And he calls us to trust in him and to ask him. Even in the midst of that turmoil that we experience within ourselves, I believe. Help my unbelief. Church, we need the the wisdom of God to navigate the trials of life. And the bottom line is that God gives us all the wisdom we need in Jesus if we'll simply access it in faith the way that he calls us to. And my prayer for you today is that that as the enemy's schemes are kind of uprooted and light is shed into the darkness about how he wants to keep you in the darkness and not approach him in prayer, that your prayer life would take off. And it wouldn't be because you've read 10 books on prayer, but it would be because you actually believed that God loves to give good gifts to his children. Because we need his perspective in this life to live faithfully. Let's pray together. Father, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, we desperately, desperately need your wisdom to navigate life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Father, when we don't know what to do in life, would you help us to run to you with the confidence that you've given us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Lord, I pray for my friends in here today that are in very challenging situations with their marriages, with their vocations, with their families. And God, I pray that you would meet them in the prayer closet of their homes and in the questions of their souls, Lord. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to us. Lord, meet us in the middle of the questions with your wisdom that we desperately need. It's in Jesus' name.